Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started Paddling the Blue. Welcome to today's episode of Paddling the Blue. Today's guest is Jorgen Vanderpoel, also known as Kayak Cobber. I first learned of Kayak Cobber when he posted a brief note on a Facebook group casually mentioning his experience paddling from Holland to Moldova. And when he said he started with a thousand kilometers upstream and had to pass through 80 locks, then got arrested, I knew that this was a story I needed to share. And along the way, I learned that the obstacles he faced and continues to face are much greater than just that. Stories like his are one of the reasons that I chose to start this podcast, so this was really a lot of fun for me. Before we get to the interview, a quick thank you to everybody who joined our one-year anniversary contest. The deadline to enter has passed, and we're going to announce the winners on the next episode of Paddling the Blue, which is set to release on March 15, 2021. So thank you again to Level 6, Werner Paddles, and P&H Sea Kayaks for supporting the contest. Here we go. Enjoy today's interview with Kayak Cobber. Hi, Jorgen. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thank you very much from... Uh the old world Holland. So Jorgen, you go by the name Kayak Kaber. Where did that name come from and how did you choose that? Before kayaking, I've been traveling a lot. I spent a lot of time in Ireland and around Europe. And then I ended up for a year in Australia. And they always called me Kaber. Kaber is a name, old English, for a friend or a mate. And then later on, I had to make a kayak block. And then I decided to uh, use that name, and then Kayak Covers was born. It's uh, been carried with you since then. Yeah, I was in Australia in 1992 for one year, and then I was able to get on a, a livestock vessel, hitchhiking, and then I end up in uh, Southeast Asia for a few years. So I did a lot of uh, adventure before uh, I started uh, kayaking. Yeah, you've got quite a resume of adventures uh, all over the world. So you did a trip called Smiles for Moldova uh, that was a kayak trip. Where did the idea for that trip come from? The original plan started in 2007. I have a severe problem with my health. Uh, I have a cleft and I have problem with uh, more things concerning my jaw. And then my doctor, Professor van Oort in Holland, he retired and I was a patient for over 40 years. And he made connection with Moldova. Moldova is the poorest country in Europe to set up a treatment room. I've been looking in 2002 already in the National Geographic about the Danube, the river. And then I saw a very famous photo from Serbia when the bird was bombed. And I said, one day I want to go there. So when he retired, I went to a bye-bye party and I said, I don't give you an envelope for the project. I will uh, make you an offer you can refuse. I will make uh, attention and awareness for the project by paddling to Moldova with my kayak. So tell us about the trip itself. Tell us about the progression of the trip, number of, uh, number of rivers, kilometers. How did, you, how did you make that trip? Yeah, first I, uh, I had to look if it was possible because there were some, uh, some difficulties in it. The total uh, kilometer would be about uh, 4,000, 4,500. The main river would be the Danube. But to come to the Danube, I first had to paddle uh, 1,000 kilometers upstream from Holland. 
So uh, I started in Holland and then passing Germany, passing Austria, and then Hungary, no, first Slovakia, Hungary, Croatia, Serbia, Romania, Ukraine, and then Moldova. So it was a long trip. It took me about uh, four and a half months, four and a half thousand kilometers. And uh, the first part was, uh, yeah, was tough. It was April, so that means uh, a lot of rivers are full of water coming from the mountain, ice water melting, and I had to take 70 locks, so it was very uh, intense, and I still had to get into the mood. But after a while, one on the Danube, it went better and better and uh, easier. And then the last part was a little bit hard again, because there were some uh, challenges to be faced again. Ah, so you're... you're... So you began with a thousand kilometer upstream paddle. Yeah, correct. I'd be looking at the Atlas if it was possible. And of course it's possible, but because I wanted to go over all the waterway, I had to do some uh, yeah, some hard work at the beginning. So I started at sea for a few days, and then I went inland in uh, Germany. But I had to go up and up and up and up for about a thousand kilometers, and then... Uh, the last part, I could go down to the Danube, and then I had the, the stream with me, so that it made it a little bit easier. Then I uh, end up in the Black Sea. I had to go north for uh, along the coast of the Ukraine, and then went inland again upstream to the river Dniester, it's called. I passed by Trans, uh, Transnistria in Nomenland, in Bandit country, in between Moldova and Ukraine where, uh, yeah, many uh, strange things happen. But it's all part of the event here. <laughs> so you're 1,000 kilometers upstream, 4,400 kilometers in total. You passed 11 countries and went through 70 locks along the, along the way. Yeah, and, uh, if you start with the first part, I left uh, Holland. I'm, uh, I come from the north of Holland. I am a member of the uh, kayak club here in uh, Groningen. We have about uh, 250 members, so that's a lot. I learned a lot. I did many symposiums with them in Germany, in Holland. I went to Scotland paddling uh, in Denmark, everywhere. So I had, a, I had a good basic knowledge of kayaking and safety, etc., etc., at sea as well as inland. So the first part, uh, you go over the Waddensee over here in Holland, and then you go into Germany, and I first had to go to the Rhine. So that means I passed by uh, Ems and Dortmund Ems Canal, and then I ended up at the Rhine. But because of all the melting water, it was very, very hard. I tried it half a day, but I did not make progress. Sometimes I only made two kilometers an hour because it was very tough, too much uh, current. So then I was able to go at the kayak club. They helped me to get a vessel, a gas tanker, to... Uh, put me a little bit higher on the Rhine. And then I could continue over the mine and the mine donor canal to end up in the Danube. So that was a little bit the first part of the trip. The first month was cold, freezing and uh, demanding. But I already had it in mind. If I can make the first month, then it will be a piece of cake, I thought. And when did you say you left for the trip or the trip started? I started in April, April 5, okay. in 2008. 
And I had an open end. I have a little bit problem with my eyes. So uh, I wanted to have an open end so I can take time to rest or to lay down or if I need a few days more to uh, to have some, uh, yeah, how do you say it? Yeah, rest or comfort so I can sleep uh, in the dark. That would be welcome. So the problem with your eyes, that's related to your EEC, is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. I have a very rare syndrome called EEC. Only uh, 300 people are uh, registered to have the problem. So that uh, implies a cleft lip, problem with my jaw, with my eyes, with my skin, with my nails, etc. But the eyes are the main problem. I don't have a good eyesight due to uh, not working or good working uh, tear production. And it means I will have a lot of uh, scar tissue on my eye, on the cornea. So over the year, it gets worse and worse. And I have more problem with the light because it falls apart. So I wear a dark shade or filter glasses for uh, over 15 years now to protect it from the light and from the pain. Well, despite that challenge, you've uh, you've had some pretty amazing adventures. So what steps do you need to take to compensate for that? Is it just the, the shade? Yeah, the, the shade in the beginning it was working because I have a filter and it had dark shade. And now we start with 40-50%, but now it's 75% dark. So it will, uh, it will filter the light more and more, but it works less and less because it's getting thinner, the cornea, it gets more little holes in it. So the light will be hurting more and more and also... Uh, reading, seeing TV, and life in general, uh, getting worse with the vision, yeah. Okay, well, it certainly hasn't slowed you down, though. It certainly uh, keeps you going. So why do you do your trip solo? Uh, <laughs> of course, I always did uh, a lot with the group. Uh, the main thing is I have a little bit more spare time than ordinary people. I can imagine if I go on holiday with three or four people kayaking or do some other thing, and... They look forward, hold the uh, hold the year for it. They have been working hard, and then I'm always afraid I will slow them down. So I mean, sometimes I need rest, or I don't feel good for a day. I want to lay in the dark. And if you only have a one or two week uh, holiday, the first day you will say, "Oh, that's okay." But imagine you have a few days, uh, <laughs> a few days uh, happening with me. I think people are not happy with it. That's why I choose to be alone, and. Traveling solo, you're over alone. You meet a lot of people, and if you are with the two people, you stick together. So that's that, uh, another reason, yeah. Okay. So what's an average day in the water like for you? It, of course, completely different from uh, being at sea, where you have nautical mile. My average uh, speed was about 50 kilometers. In the start of the journey, I only did sometimes two, three kilometers an hour. So then you can calculate over a day, not very much. But later on, on the Donau, I was able to uh, sometime or often make uh, 70, 80 kilometers a day. So then you have a little bit balance from the beginning and from the middle. So uh, effort 50 kilometers a day, and then I could make it in uh, four months, which I did. Well, 50, 50k a day is a pretty good, pretty good pace. Uh, yeah, I like it. <laughs> so I you... mean, uh, otherwise... Oh, sorry. That's all right. Um, you, you mentioned people uh, along the way. So tell us a little bit about some of the people that you met along the trip. Of course, you pass by uh, 11 countries. So there's a lot of uh, diversity in people in Holland and Germany. 
we are from the West and what you pass by uh, Vienna and Bucharest, you get into the East of uh, Europe. Completely different mentality, very friendly. The people live often from the land. You see, uh, you know, the, the cart with the horse in front, uh, more uh, primitive, but the people are, uh, are golden. I met a lot of uh, helping hands along the way in Germany. They helped me uh, to get on the, uh, on, the, on the vessel, on the gas tanker, to go up the Rhine. I've been very sick in Moldova. They helped me. I've been uh, going to the toilet up and down for four days, and they were out of stock in the little uh, store. <laughs> I had diarrhea all the time. Mm. And in Serbia, I met a lot of nice people I could sleep and I party with. In Ukraine, I met some people I spent a few days with drinking and eating. So uh, as everywhere, people are always very friendly. I only meet some uh, occasion that uh, most of the time is about drunk people. But that uh, happens everywhere. So uh, that's nothing new. So now your trip is, is it unsupported? along the way? So you're solo, but unsupported as well? Uh, correct. I did everything myself. I like it. I mean, as a seeker, you learn to be uh, self-sufficient. Uh, get yourself into a problem, you also have to self your help, uh, help yourself out of a problem. And that, uh, that's what I like. Sometimes it can be a little bit hard, but uh, it's a good learning process, always, that you can do much more than you think. So tell us about some of those hard points of the trip. Were there any, any moments where you thought about quitting? Not about quitting, because I was uh, helping the people from Moldova, the patients, so I had, there was a lot to lose. But the first month of the trip, I had to pass by 70 lakh. So that asked a lot from your material and from yourself. Sometimes they are able to uh, let you go through, sometimes not. You had to climb over boulders, high jetties, everywhere a lot of problems appear very heavy slippery when i arrived in vienna i had five holes in my boat because you have to drag them over the rock and over the surface everywhere that was hard then later on i was almost in ukraine and then heavy flooding appeared i thought the last uh, part from leave the Danube up to the Black Sea, and then inland would be a piece of cake. But all the, <laughs> all the area was flooded, uh, houses were swept away, and I had to go through it the last week. So I uh, a lot of mud, mosquitoes. Every time I set up camp, I was standing in the mud till my ankles, one time till my knees. And it was very hot, very, very damp, so a lot of mosquitoes... Uh, I call it the Moldovan midget, so to make a comparison of it. Very hard, yeah, but uh, you just keep on going. So how about the moment of most joy on the trip? Yeah, of course, that you make it, you know. The last day, I had to pedal 21 hours in a row because uh, the people from the hospital, they, <laughs> they make arrangements with the press, and etc., etc., and they told me, you have to be there tomorrow. So then I had to uh, pedal all during the night. The problem is, a lot of uh, areas were flooded. I lost my way sometimes because I could not see the river or the, or the meadow that were flooded. And then you arrive, four o'clock in the morning, you try to sleep, set up your tent, but you know, you made it. So that was nice. 
and it was only not only because of me, but there were people dependent on me. So it was a, a lot of joy. Yeah. How about the? Tell us about the most nervous point of the trip. Uh, yeah, I said it was about the uh, the drunk people. In Eastern Europe, if you don't drink along, they find it very offensive and they can be very very angry, because they are like that. They offer you something to drink and you have to drink with them and often till you uh, walk back on your feet to the tent. <laughs> and that, uh, yeah, that can be offensive. And one time I had somebody passing by the tent already a little bit drunk and annoying. You cannot reprimand him, very dangerous. Uh, you're alone before you know the whole village will be after you. So I'm not scared, but you have to be very, you have to... You have to be very, very in control, otherwise I get out of hand. And that yeah, scary, yeah, it's sometimes scary because uh, drunk people are unpredictable. So how did you plan the trip? I always do the same. I plan my trip always with a little pencil and uh, a little piece of thread or a little line. I do that for since the beginning, since I was young. I look at the Atlas, I use my imagination, I want to go there. And then I just uh, keep on going. I don't look for the highlights. This time I had to look for all the waterways. And then the trip slowly gets alive. And most of the time, before I... It's all in my head. And then I make it public, you know, to the friends, to the family. What do you think about it? But then I already have been paddling, or walking that part already uh, 10 times. I know the... I know the good part, the bad part, the danger part, etc., etc. I do it always the same, and for me it works perfect. And then along the way, ah, I will see, you know, things change. But uh, it all started with imagi- imagination, yeah. Now, did you run into any political challenges along the way when you're crossing borders? Uh, yeah, a lot. <laughs> Eastern Europe is different. Uh, they have a different background with communism, etc., etc. I went to Moldova to to pedal for the clinic. We raised the money, etc., etc. Later on, funds from the EU were involved. Two years later, when they opened the clinic, I was there again. I met the uh, prime minister, Mehdi Vilat. A few years later, Mehdi Vilat he was uh, going to jail because he was. Uh, he made a one billion dollar vanishing with a few friends of him. So that's all very, very... There are always dark powers over there. I came into Moldova and I went into Chisinau, the capital, and I never saw so many Hummers in the poorest country in Europe. I'm not directly involved with it, but there's always something going on that I don't know. When I was on the trip, I have a lot of uh, problems with the... Uh, with the border police, they always pass by. Later on in the Ukraine, I was arrested. I went to court. They kicked me out of the country. I had to uh, hitchhike with my uh, fully loaded kayak uh, a few days uh, on the pothole road of the Ukraine. So a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, also uh, very, very dark powers always going on there. So you just slipped a little piece in there about getting arrested. So tell us a little bit more about that. Okay, I, uh, at the end of the Danube, the Donau, I left the EU, so I had to go over the Black Sea to the Ukraine to pedal, and I was planning to, uh, to register again at a, a place called 
Zatoka that have a port. How so I uh, I cleared out in the EU with the custom and I start peddling. Uh, the first night I was illegal anyway because I camped on the beach. I was very lucky to see nobody. And because I think it was because of headwind or something like that, I made a decision next day I will go to another uh, little port. So I went there, Pier Morska. I set my foot on shore and I said I want to register. And before I know, I was surrounded by, uh, by soldiers. It was machine gun and they told me you had to come with us. So I was... Uh, Officially arrested because I did not do uh, the right uh, procedure. Blah 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 blah. In the evening, I went to court and I was kicked out uh, out of the country. So within 24 hours, I had to leave the country. Then I uh, had to find a, a truck or a car to uh, bring me back to the sea. So I've been hitchhiking uh, two days uh, with the uh, with the truck, and they brought me back to the sea so I could uh, continue my. Uh, my last part of the trip into the river uh, Nistro, going again upstream. A lot of mud, as I told you before, and a lot of uh, Moldovan uh, midges. I passed by Transnistria, that had no man's land between Moldova and Ukraine. It's not recognized by any other country. A lot of uh, big cars and uh, yeah, a lot of uh, hidden money, so to say. Very interesting. <laughs> So this, it's you said not recognized by any country. It's just a uh, no man's land. In uh, I call it Bennett country. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of money. There's a lot of money going on. You see a lot of uh, very very big cars with a lot of lot, uh, uh, very big, big and wide shouldered men. Yeah, in a completely different uh, society. But uh, yeah, interesting to battle through and to uh, meet people. Now, did you have any problem with beach camping along the way? No, most of the time I did uh, wild camping, of course. In the beginning of the trip, uh, uh, Germany and Austria, a lot of campsites for kayak clubs or, or the facility. But the more you go to the east, the less uh, there is. So most of the time you do wild camping. And that, uh, that's perfect. The weather was getting better and uh, a lot of fun. A lot of fishermen passing by. Always a lot of uh, people like to uh, use their rifle along the Danube. So almost every night you hear people shooting. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, yeah, it's uh, very different from, uh, from over here. Very funny. In the Ukraine, I had been one night at the campsite. The toilet was just a squatting toilet. It was completely full. The next morning, the uh, tractor came to, uh, I think, to suck it out. I don't know how you call it. And one meter further, there were 10 cold showers in a row. It was stinking like hell, and I was just uh, camping <laughs> beside it. Uh, that was the only campsite in the in the Ukraine I saw, and it was uh, the last one. Sounds lovely. <laughs> so the, uh, uh, the the clubs helped you along the way, you said? Yeah, especially in the beginning. In the beginning, uh, Germany had a very rich culture of uh, rowing and uh, kayaking. So the facilities had very good. Some... Uh, uh, how they call it? Uh, kayak club. They have a swimming pool and sauna, everything. And they cater for uh, mostly for uh, competition. Uh, competition. How they call it? Uh, competition uh, kayaker. Now, what gear did you use along the trip? Okay, I uh, I pedaled many boats, but uh, those uh, years I pedaled a P and H uh, Quest. It's like a very big tanker, very solid. 
for me it works perfect. It's not uh, in a nice boat. It's not too speedy. Com- if especially if you go with the kayak club, it's a little bit too slow. But uh, when you're alone, uh, it's perfect. And I use uh, kinetic uh, wing from Landau. Landau sent me four pair of uh, pedals. Oh, I'm ever sir, <laughs> very surprised at that time. And now the tent, I use uh, the North Face step pole. I use uh, three of them already. So they were very uh, reliable and good. So, uh, and what more? Yeah, palm appointment and for the rest, uh, ordinary uh, camping uh, thing. So what advice might you have for someone who's planning a, a large solo trip of their own? I over here, I'm very hard-headed and very stubborn. I'm not talking about safety. I'm talking about if you have something in mind, do it. And don't uh, let somebody else tell you that don't do it. I mean, not about safety or about, uh, about those things, but more about, uh, yeah, make your dreams come true. Do it. That, uh, that's the best I, advice I can give. All right. Now, speaking of making your dreams come true, uh, you've had a few other walking expeditions in the last few years. Can you give us a quick summary of those? Yeah. Uh, because of my problem, I have more and more problems to read the chart, to read the compass in the kayak, and being at sea, going up and down all the time, and the glossy water, the glistering water, and it's very, very tiresome for my eyes. So then a few years, I did nothing. And then... I thought, oh, maybe I can go uh, on land. How so I started to uh, do long distance walking for a month, then two months. Then I walked from uh, Portugal to Holland. Then I walked up and down from Holland to the North Cape, up and down 9,000 kilometers in 10 months. And then walked for five months in Ukraine, Moldova. And then uh, this March, I just came back from uh, crossing America. I started in San Diego and wanted to walk to uh, to Florida, but I had to give up due to the crisis, and I came back in March. So I'm now into uh, long-distance walking. I covered now 25,000 kilometers the last few years, but I now wait for a new hip, and then maybe I will see if I uh, continue to uh, do some uh, new things. Well, like you said, uh, making your dreams come true, so you're not letting anything stop you. Uh, nah, I always <laughs> say boom is ho. I don't. <laughs> so if I cannot go further, then uh, I will stop. But uh, for now, nah, I just try to go on and push through. So what's next for you after the hip? Yeah, I was thinking about uh, England and the UK make a figure eight. So we have the ferry going from home to Newcastle, then walk up to uh, the north of Scotland, and then later on uh, go to Ireland make a little circle and then go back to England and then uh, walk back home. So uh, that is one plan and a few other ones. I was planning to walk across Russia. I called it war. But after half a year of trying to get in, to walk it non-stop, I don't get permission. So uh, I let the plan go. It's a pity because that would be my big dream, the piece of the cake. Will you, will you come back to uh, America and finish off that trip? Yeah, I'm still thinking about it. Uh, I was not very pleased about the area. Over the, I, I'm always walking with a walking trailer. Uh, a lot of people thought I'm homeless. 
they scare me away, they want to... They were not always so friendly, so I really don't know yet. <laughs> mm. Well, that's certainly a lesson for us over here. Uh, I don't know. I think it has to do with the card because I meet some people on the bicycle or from Holland, and they never had problem. But because I walk with a bicycle and uh, uh, nay, I walk with a walking trailer, I think they uh, confuse me for a homeless. So I think they had a problem. Mm. So how can listeners reach you and follow your journeys? I'm the most active on Facebook, Instagram. Somebody copying it for me because I have a little bit problem with my eyes, so uh, I only stick to Facebook. And since a little while, I make a, a little design for T-shirt on. It's called Red Bubble. It's a print on demand site, and they uh, they can find me under the name Kaya Cobber, or just go to Facebook or my website Kaya Cobber, and you will find the uh, the link. Well, I will be sure to put links to um, your Redbubble store and your Facebook presence and website in our show notes so people can catch up with you later and ask any questions they might have and, and learn a little bit more about your journeys. Yeah, and uh, I am walking, and I walk a lot, but, you know, uh, kayaking is the best outdoor activity you can have. That, uh, that's what I know. Being on top of a wave or in a tidal race, you know, that the adrenaline, that is what you cannot find uh, with walking. So I can say uh, kayaking, I miss, uh, I miss every day. Well, hopefully we have a chance to get back out there again. I've got one final question that I generally like to ask all of our guests. And, uh, and that final question is, who else would you like to hear as a future guest on Paddling the Blue? Yeah, I have a, a lot of people I can re- recommend from the club. But I don't do that. I, uh, I've been following many years ago uh, a South African called Ryan Menser. He, uh, he cycled around Africa and he pedaled around uh, Madagascar. And I like his, uh, his rough and, unpo- and unpolished, I call him. Rough and unpolished. I, uh, I really like him. I don't follow him uh, recently, but uh, I think he's a nice guest to uh, tell you some uh, nice stories in uh, Madagascar. Well, Madagascar is one area of the world that we have not explored yet on this show, so I will certainly reach out to Ryan and see if we can get him on the show and talk a little bit about Madagascar. Yeah, that's very nice, because, you know, with kayaking, there are always new horizons. Another tip, I've been living many years in the Philippines, and in a very, uh, how do you call it, it's not yet discovered by sea kayaking. There are, of course, a few uh, people who uh, rent out uh, the sit on top but there's so many islands and so many very nice areas to be discovered. The water are very tricky. I have all the paper here about the stream atlas, and in between it can be very, very tricky with all the water. But I think it's a very big tip to uh, to let the sea kayak world discover the Philippines. It's a big uh, challenge over there okay. to set it on the on the yeah how do you call it? to set it on the paper yeah. So you've you've lived all over the world. What is it that you, that took you to those places? Uh, I was a year in Australia, and I was planning to go to Japan, and then I worked uh, for a little Dutch uh, company, and they said, "Oh, there's a, a vessel going uh, in a few weeks from now uh, to the Philippines. If you want to join, you can hop on for free." And uh, as I am from Holland, we are all very uh, greedy with the money. I said yes. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, then I ended up in the Philippines. I've been uh, hopping 
many many islands and uh, I think uh, it's a very nice area. People are very friendly and they are one of the biggest seafarers in the world. Eh? Everywhere, every vessel, every cargo ship in the world, you will meet Filipino uh, crew on it because they're very uh, reliable. Well, Jorgen, this has been fantastic. It's been fascinating uh, learning from you and hearing about your trip for Smiles for Moldova. And I appreciate you taking the opportunity to join us. Uh, it's also been fascinating learning about your other trips and your 25,000 kilometers of walking around the world. And I, I wish you the best on your next journey, wherever that may be, whether it's England or, or wherever else. Yeah, nothing uh, nothing changed as the wind, huh? so you never will know where you end up. Thank you very much and uh, have a good time. Thank you. If you want to be a stronger and more efficient paddler, Power to the Paddle is packed with fitness guidance and complete descriptions along with photos of more than 50 exercises to improve your abilities and enjoy your time on the water. The concept and exercises in this book have helped me become a better paddler and they can make a difference for you too. The exercises in the book can help you reduce tension in your shoulders and low back, use the power of your torso to create leverage and use less energy with each stroke, use force generated from your lower body to make your paddling strokes more efficient, have the endurance to handle long days in the boat, drive through the toughest waves or whitewater, protect your body against common paddling injuries, and while you're at it, you might even lose a few pounds, and who wouldn't mind that? So visit paddlingexercises.com to get the book and companion DVD. As I said at the beginning, as if a thousand kilometers upstream and 80 locks, many of which he had to hand crank his way through wasn't enough, then he gets arrested, has to hitchhike for two days with a loaded boat, has border patrol following him, and all that with the rare genetic syndrome that affects his skin, eyesight, and more. Of course, that doesn't slow him down, it just changes his approach. So since that kayak trip, he's walked more than 25,000 kilometers and still going strong. What an inspiration. Our next guest is Chev Dixon, and Chev is the driving force behind the Hudson River Riders program in Yonkers, New York. And Chev and his team are doing great things to grow the sport, engage communities of color in paddle sports, and create opportunities for youth and nature. So we're looking forward to that one. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue. Thank you for listening to Paddling the Blue. You can subscribe to Paddling the Blue on Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please take the time to leave us a five-star review on Apple Music. We truly appreciate the support. And you can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes, along with replays of past episodes, contact information, and more at paddlingtheblue.com. Until next time, I hope you get out and paddle the blue. <laughs>